Welcome to another episode of the Bandage Podcast, a weekly wrap-up of the most trending healthcare news. Each week, we'll discuss the latest in healthcare, health IT, and compliance. In this week's episode, we discuss new access to mental health help in Ohio, rescuing blood cells, and re-examining Instagram kids. Let's wrap things up. This is episode 105 for the week of October 4th. I'm Matt Moneypenny. And I'm Albert Battistelli. Before we get started, our diagnosis code of the week is Z13.30, Encounter for Screening Examination for Mental Health and Behavioral Disorders, Unspecified. Hmm. Wow. So, Albert, if you didn't know this, Hmm. next week, October 3rd through October 9th, or I guess this week, apologies, we don't record this on the week that it actually goes live. So I apologize to our audience. (laughs) Yes. But... The illusion has been shattered. Yeah. October 4th through October 9th, I guess the 3rd through the 9th, is Mental Illness Awareness Week. So this is an appropriate diagnosis code for this Mm. week. Yes. Well done by our editor and producer. Um, Very prompt and appropriate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Then there's not much else I can say about that. So. (laughs) Right. No, I don't know what else is on that. What because, that mean? you know, you got to spread mental health awareness because it's bad. Mm-hmm. Right? Mental health issues are very prevalent in the world. And it seems like a lot of people are getting more help when they need to than they used to. So that's helpful. Yeah. First up, new access to mental health. At the beginning of August, the Mental Health Recovery Board introduced three new behavioral health urgent care locations in the Richland County area in Ohio. The three sites will serve those seeking guidance right away without an appointment and outside of the regular counseling hours of business. With funding from the Mental Health Recovery Board, the locations were able to intensely recruit more staff and help walk-in urgent care patients. The Mental Health Recovery Board wanted people to be able to go from the hospital to the agency without having to go home or get lost in the process. The behavioral health locations make that possible on all fronts. As more become aware of these new behavioral health urgent care locations around Richland County, Mental health recovery has the potential to make further progress in the future. Nice. So, um, you know, just goes to show you that people are starting to become more aware of mental health. And a lot of that has to do with advocacy by celebrities um, Mm -hmm. and just general advocacy from social media influencers. And, you know, the Internet has kind of brought some good in that light, which is ironic because a lot of the times the Internet is what causes mental health problems, um, i.e. FOMO. But. You know, in Ohio, it appears that, you know, things are looking up. That's good. All right. Moving on to the next story, rescuing blood cells. CVS Caremark is expanding its health equity efforts, setting goals that specifically target diseases that disproportionately impact patients of color, such as HIV and sickle cell disease. The pharmacy giant announced earlier this month that it aims to double the number of sickle cell patients on hydroxyurea a low-cost medication that can help manage the condition by reversing changes to blood cells. In tandem, CVS says it wants to improve adherence among people already taking hydroxyurea and significantly increase trait testing to identify people at risk more quickly. So this sounds like a good story, right? I mean, yeah, they're helping people that have sickle cell and HIV, which is great. Sure. But the pessimist in me is saying... Do they have this similar strategy with other drugs that are addictive as well? Mm. Or did they in the past? You know what I mean? Right. You know, pharmacy, big pharma is a big business. 
And how do they increase their business? Well, they target people to get certain drugs. And in this case, that's what that is, which is, you know, it's helpful, but I don't know. There could be some, some bad instances in the past with, with big pharma where this was uh, bad news, but overall, you know, I like to say that this is a good thing. Yeah, I think so. Ultimately, it also just brings more awareness that, um, you know, certain diseases are disproportionately impacting um, people of color. And it's important Mm -hmm. to sort of accommodate that when you're, when you're uh, treating patients and stuff like that. So I think that's important. Next, re-examining Instagram kids. Facebook says it's pausing work on rolling out its Instagram kids app after the social networking company came under criticism for its negative effect on children, especially teenage girls. Facebook said in a blog post Monday that it's not abandoning the idea to create a dedicated experience for kids younger than 13. But it will take time to discuss it with experts, parents, and policymakers to demonstrate the value and the need for the product. According to the findings from the Wall Street Journal, almost one-third of young teenage girls told Facebook that they felt worse about their bodies after scrolling through the site. Several Democratic and Republican lawmakers responded to Facebook's announcement Monday by saying the social media giant must go further to protect young people. So this is like a hairy situation. I feel feel like uh, I don't think Facebook necessarily thought this through before announcing that they were going to do a an Instagram kit. I just, that just sounds like a bad idea. It does. I mean, just all around. Me. Yeah. Right. Not <laughs> first of all, how, how do you get permission for these kids to make an account? Like, is that, right. like a, do they have to require parent permission? Because if they don't, then they're in violation of COPPA, which is a children protective act act. Um, so I don't really know. Plus on top of that, it's like, how, how could you, they're probably just trying to make more money ultimately, right? But like, I'm how could sure. you realize, or how could you think that that's a good idea? Because the statistics are already out there about kids and social media and how it affects mental health. And they're all, all these kids are depressed and anxious because of FOMO and things like that. Right. Um, so I don't know. It just seems like a bad idea. Yeah. Anything else you want to say, Albert? <laughs> no, I was going to say, I completely agree. I, just, <laughs> I think it's... Uh, poor planning on their part initially. I mean, anytime that you focus or throw the word kids on something, I think it can go one of two ways. There's like YouTube kids, which I think is successful because it's programming Mm -hmm. directed at kids, but Instagram uh, by its very nature is, I don't want to say can be exploitative or whatever, but when you partner that with this idea that like, Oh, we're just going to give it to children. I think that yeah, it, it's, uh, it's a recipe for disaster just on even just on like the surface. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm surprised they even greenlit this idea. I don't know who at Facebook said, let's go. But yeah, we got some work to do before they yeah. roll this out. Absolutely. With that, let's go into our next segment. B-R-E-A-C-H. Breach Patrol. It's a breach. All of the latest cybersecurity breaches. Welcome to Breach Patrol. We talk about the latest breaches all across the world. <clears throat> Whoa. First up, we have sued over breach. UC San Diego Health disclosed a security incident in July via a public notice. The notice indicated that unauthorized access to some employee email accounts had taken place from December 2nd, 2020 to April 8th, 2021. 
On September 7th, UC San Diego Health began notifying half a million individuals that they may have been affected by the breach. Lawyers representing a cancer patient filed a lawsuit last week against UC San Diego Health over the data breach. The plaintiff has accused the healthcare system of breach of contract, negligence, and violating California consumer privacy and medical confidentiality laws. The plaintiff asserts that the healthcare system failed to adequately train employees on how to avoid phishing attacks and neglected to implement reasonable security practices. The lawsuit is seeking class action status and unspecified damages for all the individuals whose medical data and personal information may have been exposed. Mm. So it sounds like there could be some weight to this lawsuit, but it also sounds like it's probably not going to work just based on the trends of healthcare. Yeah. There's got to be a lot of negligence that's proven on UC San Diego Health that they don't train their employees. And I don't even know if that's enough because of how frequent breaches occur. Breaches in occur, yeah. So, yeah. you know, I'm all for uh, patients rightfully trying to access their rights to, you know, right. you're supposed to control my privacy or you're supposed to protect my patient health information, protect the health information, all that jazz. But um, I don't know if they'll win this. But right. If they do win this, then it could be a huge thing for HIPAA in general. It could set a precedent for some some stronger and more stringent HIPAA rules in the future. Sure. I feel like big hospital systems as well have the um, the capital to sort of lawyer up and fend off a lot of these uh, lawsuits that are brought by, you know, one or two patients who are frustrated. Um, it seems like Every time the little guy goes up against the big guy, the big guy always wins. <laughs> like, and that sounds depressing. Yeah. That's another reason I don't see much hope here. I agree. Breach statistics. That was fun to say. Breach <laughs> statistics. Arctic Wolf published findings from a recent global survey of over 1,400 IT decision makers at enterprise organizations. After a year of high-profile cyber attacks, the survey data reveals executive attitudes on a wide array of cybersecurity and business issues. 32% of enterprises experienced a six-figure breach last year. 61% of business owners admitted to concealing a breach in the last 12 months. 78% of C-suite executives claimed that they would be willing to pay a ransom, with 56% willing to pay over $100,000 to resume operations. 60% of executives believe their individual employees could not identify a cyber attack targeting their business in any working location. The field chief technology officer at Arctic Wolf said that the best way for organizations to break out of this cycle of fear and uncertainty is for them to recognize that they have an operational problem. Embracing security operations will allow them to address the rapidly evolving threat landscape with ease and simplicity. That's an interesting one. Um, yeah. I, I love that they like publish these numbers because I think if I'm a hacker and I see, hey, 56% are willing to pay over $100,000 to resume their operations, great. <laughs> yeah. I'm in business. I think, I mean, you know, it just goes to show you there's, there's kind of a bigger thing here as well. Obviously, yeah. the statistics are bad and they say, hey, focus on your cybersecurity. But also a very important thing is what they say at the end. And I agree with it is embracing security operations will allow these organizations to address the rapidly evolving threat landscape to with ease and simplicity. So what that's saying is cybersecurity is like a cultural shift. Yep. Like if your organization has policies in place that protect your cybersecurity, that's great, but you need to have a culture that instills that entire mentality. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing that 
in like uh, the DOD space with CMMC, cybersecurity maturation maturity model, uh, where if you want to do business or if you want to bid on contracts with the DOD in the future come 2025, you're going to have to not only follow these rules and create policies that are set forth by the CMMCAB that works closely with the DOD, um, you also have to have a third party come in and actually testify that you are doing what you say you're doing. And it's starting to get more stringent. So that comes with a cultural shift um, and it's trickling down through all sorts of other industries in the future. And I feel like that's going to be more of a trend. Yeah, absolutely. And finally, Paxton Media update. A federal lawsuit has been filed against Paxton Media Group claiming the company had a cybersecurity attack and massive data breach earlier this year, yet waited three or more months to tell more than 20,000 current and former employees that their private information was hacked. According to some details in the lawsuit, the cyber attack occurred between February 26th and March 20th of this year. An unauthorized third party of cyber criminals gained access to data, including social security numbers, financial account information, and rounding number information, as well as credit card numbers and other assorted data. In late June, officials with Paxton Media Group began sending out notices to those whose information was accessed. However, some plaintiffs still haven't been notified. The lawsuit also claims that some of the private information was sold on the dark web. So in this instance, we got another lawsuit, and I think this one is more is has a lot a little bit more legs to it than the other one. Yes. Um, well, this one's also brought by the federal government, which agreed is different. Agreed. That means you're late. Yep. 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 So usually when a breach happens, um, in some instances, it does lead to a, a federal lawsuit, and that's kind of the penalty. Mm-hmm. Um, that's they call it the lawsuit, and that's pretty much like hey. Penalties coming your way. Um, it doesn't seem like if you compare this to the UC San Diego Health, UC San Diego Health um, notified their individuals within a, a reasonable amount of time, right? Right. If you're a yep. healthcare system, you have to notify people within about like three months or so, if I remember correctly. And this isn't necessarily a healthcare organization, but they still had a duty to let their employee or their their affected parties know, and they didn't do that, yep. which is why they're getting a penalty from the federal government. And it goes back to the even the last story where we mentioned that what it was like sixty two or sixty something percent of people mm-hmm. high uh, would rather conceal a breach that happened in the last twelve months. Like that's right. I think the knee jerk reaction when something bad happens is to kind of cover it up or mitigate the exposure or something like that, and then yeah. or you know prevent bad press coverage or un- unrest among your employees in your, in your organization, but ultimately getting ahead of it means telling people right away. And we see stories right. every week where people do, they do the right thing. They tell people right away, they get them, you know, fraud protection or something like that. But when you don't. Yeah, you have to do it. It sucks. Yep. You don't want to do it. <clears throat> I get it. You know, you, you don't want to, as an organization, you don't want to show weakness because it hurts your, you know, your revenue. Um, but also in the cybersecurity world, admitting that you messed up is, a good thing because it saves your clients. It saves you. You're not going to get as big of a fine if you have to get a fine. Mm-hmm. And also really it's starting to show that like, you know, it's such a common thing that it's going to happen at some point. So there's no problem in admitting that you did this, and especially since you have to do it by law. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's it for this week's wrap up of your weekly healthcare news. I'm Matt Moneypenny. And I'm Albert Battistelli. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Bandage podcast produced by eTactics.